and that we would be able to worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat, and our kids can head back to Redemption Kids. So if you're a new, a relatively new parent, you want to escort your children back, uh, we would invite you to do so um, as they get settled in downstairs. And for the rest of you, I'd like to invite you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 16 this morning. It's page 822 of the Bibles that we provide for you. So uh, if you need a Bible, this is our gift to you from Redemption Hill. We would love for you to take it and uh, read it through the week um, on your own. Well, uh, really excited to continue our Steps series this morning. We've looked at why worship. We've looked at uh, why groups. And this, uh, we've also looked at why teams. Thank you, Pastor Reddy, last week, uh, last but not least. And then today, we're looking at why covenant membership. And so uh, before we do that, I uh, just want to pray and ask God to bless our time as we get into his word, that he would speak to us. What's most important is that we don't hear uh, from a person, uh, but we believe God has spoken through his word, and that's why we walk through passages of the Bible every Sunday here at Redemption Hill. So let's pray, ask God to speak to us as we jump in. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that you are able. We are grateful that you are full of grace. We are grateful that you pour out your blessings, that just divine kindness and favor on those who know you and follow you. And Father, we are grateful that your love is truly relentless. And so God, even as we talk about the church and uh, what in some ways feels like an obscure topic, we don't talk about this certainly every Sunday or very often, uh, but church membership, Lord, help us to understand more about Jesus, more about uh, what the church truly is. And uh, just the, the, the amazing opportunity for us to be a part of your church, and even this church, Redemption Hill. God, I'm so thankful to be one of our pastors with the, the many, many people that make up our church family. And so, God, would you speak to us this morning as we open your word and as we study it and consider how to apply it to our lives. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, you may be uh, wondering, man, what is church membership. In fact, some of you, even if you've been here for a little while, you may be saying, like, Tanner, I did not even know we have church membership, okay? So if if you're in that camp, you've been here for a while, you didn't know that, that's on us, all right? That's not on you, that's on us. Um, But uh, there there are many questions, like, what is membership all about, is being a member of a church like kind of having an Amazon Prime membership or, you know, a Costco membership? I mean, if, if I join a church, do I get a cool, you know, membership card that gives me kind of, you know, access to maybe some kind of spiritual discount? I'm not going to chase that too far, but you get the picture, right? Like, what is church membership all about, all right? So I do want to say you don't get a, an official card, but you do learn the secret handshake, all right? So just like, you know, like, you can't, oh. Um, so, so, yeah, just playing there. Well, we could do that. That would be, that would be anybody for a little secret handshake? Every, I, like, I like handshake, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, listen, uh, church membership, I think, as I think about this, sometimes we hear about it talked in the church, it's, it's almost kind of like uh, someone mentioning, hey, you know, it would be really helpful 
to consider going on a diet or some kind of exercise program, right? Like it's, it's kind of a good idea, but I'm not sure if I want to prioritize that, especially like right now. You know what I'm saying? So uh, this is a fresh example for me because last Sunday I said, you know what, I need to eat healthier, and so I'm going to drop some things out of my diet and add some things in. And so I think I ate more salad this week than I had in the previous three months. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last, but I'm just saying, you know, it's kind of, kind of, we all have those experiences, right? Well, uh, we do live in a day where people are skeptical about the church. People are most certainly indifferent or apathetic about the church. People uh, at times want to keep the church at arm's length, and, and we actually understand there are sometimes legit reasons for that, and we never discount the fact that there have been many times when people have had broken experiences, bad experiences in a church, and we always want to be sensitive to that as, as, as pastors, as leaders, as church members, as part of this family. And yet... What we see in the Bible is Jesus talking about how much he loves the church. Because what we need to understand, listen, the church is not fundamentally an institution. The church is not fundamentally an organization, though there are organizational pieces to a church. The church is not a place you go. The church is not a building. It's kind of easier for us to realize that because we don't own our own physical church building. We meet at the Chevalier Theater, right? Um, But the the church is not even uh, a a 75-minute experience on a Sunday. Like I said, if you listen carefully, you won't hear our pastor say it, even sometimes when we say it just because we heard it for years and years and years. We won't say, like, welcome to Redemption Hill. We'll say welcome to the gathering of redemption here, right? Because the church, as Jesus is going to show us in this passage, is not an organization or an institution or a place you go. It is a people you are. The church is a group of people who know and love and follow Jesus. And so I want to turn our attention to Matthew 16, what I believe, I think you could safely argue, is is the or one of the most foundational formative passages of Scripture, sections of the Bible, on the foundation and existence of the church. And so if you would, read along with me as I listen as I read uh, these these, uh, verses in, in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. This is what Matthew writes. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And Son of Man was just one of Jesus' favorite designations for himself. We could go back to the Old Testament for all of the significance of that title. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged them not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. This moment in Matthew 16 is to this point in Matthew's story of the life and ministry of Jesus, it is the climactic moment of the first 16 chapters. And as we look at this study from a theological perspective, asking the question, what is the church? What is a church? We come to the question also of who is Jesus and, and what is he all about? And so, As we dive in here, I just want to point out verse 18 when we see Jesus' statement back to Peter, and he says, I will build my church. This is the first occurrence of the word church in the New Testament. And the New Testament word, the Greek word, what the the New Testament was written in Greek primarily, the, the New Testament word for this is ekklesia, and it means a gathering of people, an assembly of people. And so again, if you just ask, like, what is a church? A lot of times we think building. No, a a church is just simply a community of disciples or a group of people that follow Jesus. And so before we dive into these uh, thoughts on what is the church and what does this look like, I just want to acknowledge that we have many groups of people in here today, all right? So we're asking this question, why church membership? Why should I even consider this as a person who's here this morning? And in fact, some of you may be brand new to Christianity, and I would say, look, this is not your, we wouldn't presume that this is your next step in terms of coming back and diving all in with this group of people known as Redemption Hill. Your next step is just to learn more about Jesus, and I think that's really going to happen effectively from this passage. Still others of you may say, you know what, I'm relatively new to Redemption Hill. I'm still learning what this church is all about and what you prioritize. And so uh, maybe this isn't the next step for you. Maybe there's another step like we've talked about before, groups, teams. But you can begin to build a foundation of what we believe about the church and why we have church membership. And so perhaps maybe just some months into the future, hopefully not years, right? But maybe some months into the future, you would strongly consider church membership. And then there are others of you that are thinking, you know what, man, Pastor Tanner, probably like the elders, they probably, you know, uh, targeted this Sunday for me, all right? So you're like, man, I've been around Redemption Hill for a while. I have heard you talk about church membership. I have heard the encouragements to come to covenant class. You know, like this is a plea, a targeted plea to kind of arm wrestle me into church membership, all right? And I would say, look, that's, that's not the aim, right? That is not the aim. And the evidence for that is, do you know when the last time we preached a, a sermon exclusively on church membership? August of 2011, all right? That's like four months after we even started as a church. We were like instituting church membership. Um, so yeah, we talk about it at times. We teach on it kind of tangentially in certain passages, but it has been a long time we are overdue to think on not only what is the church, but specifically what is church membership. And then if you're a member today, don't hear this message as like, yeah, I got that. I'm a member. I already know why. I'm already all in. Let this soak in today. 
let this, these truths of what the church is all about and who we are as the church, let it soak in and hopefully there will be a fresh resolve in your heart to live out the implications of living life as the church, all right? So I hope that covered everyone. If it didn't, I'm sorry. You can give me some feedback after the sermon, right? So, so, so what is the church? Okay, The church of Jesus is a family on a mission. That is how I want to define the church, and that's to think about the church today. We talk a lot about, when we're talking about church membership, hey, join the family, join the mission. The church is a family on a mission. And the most prominent note that we see here in Matthew 16 is the fact that the church is the church of Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. It's his church. And so I just want to read these verses one more time. As, as, as Jesus is uh, having this conversation, he first asked his disciples, his closest followers, right? He says, hey, who do, you, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples are well aware of the conversations about Jesus. And so they're saying, look, you know, some people are saying John the Baptist, this, this recent prophet who is, you know, causing a, a, a kind of a new wave of excitement, of religious and spiritual excitement. Uh, people are learning from him. They're hearing his teaching. Their lives are changed after they encounter John. Maybe he's just someone like John the Baptist. No, maybe he's like one of the old prophets who have, has even come back like Elijah or Jeremiah. And so basically what people were saying is, hey, Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is an amazing example to follow. Jesus is a great leader. Um, Jesus is a great miracle worker. He's doing all of these good works. So there were all of these possibilities and answers about who Jesus is, and, and, and don't we still experience this today? I mean, I have a lot of friends who would not consider themselves Christians, and yet they would say those very same things about Jesus today. They would say, yeah, I want to hear his teaching. I can learn from his wisdom. He has some examples that I can follow. Look at how sacrificial he is. Look at how kind he was to the outcast. I want to be like Jesus, and yet they stop short of really understanding who he is. And so that's why Jesus comes back and he says, well, what about you? But who do you say that I am. And it's important to note that this question here in verse 15, you is in the plural. Like I can be talking to Nello and I can say, man, what's up with you? You know what I'm saying? Um, sometimes I talk like that. Um, or I can say, hey, will you consider, I can be talking to the whole group. And Jesus is talking to his group of disciples here. But one in particular, usually the one to speak up first. His name was Peter. He was the most loquacious, the most verbose uh, disciple in the group, kind of the spokesperson. He speaks up and he says, hey, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is no small claim. This is different than John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Okay, this is more than you're a good man, a good leader, a good teacher, a good example to follow. No, Jesus you are the long-expected Messiah, the one who is going to deliver God's people out of this mess, mess, restore God's kingdom here on earth. You are the promised Savior, the one that we have been waiting for. You are God's solution for overturning all of the mess that we experience in life. You are the one. You are the son of the living God. The God who is, the only God, the God who lives in the heavens, who fills heaven and earth, 
This God, you are his son. And there's no one like you. I want to ask you this morning, what what do you make of Jesus? It's a question everyone needs to wrestle with. I ask you that as individuals and as, like, what do you make of Jesus? Is Is he just a teacher, leader, example? Or is he the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Is he the one who came and lived a spotless, never sinned kind of life? And then died a torturous death in our place. That for all of the wrongdoing that we had had done and have done and will do against God and one another. Jesus died for all of that. So that we would have the opportunity to, though we were once separated from God, be brought back together again with God. And be a part of a vital relationship with him again. What he longs for with each one of us. Do we we see Jesus as the one who has overturned death and given us life in his resurrection? And in his resurrection, as we looked at last month on Easter, that because he was raised, it proves that every word he said was true. Do you see Jesus in this way? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This, This confession is the foundation of the church's existence and it is forever the continuation of the church existence because the church is formed on that foundation. So when Peter says this, and Jesus is, is he's, he's using a play on words with Peter. Peter was one of the, what, what scholars would tell us, are the closest three disciples to Jesus. And, and so when Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, um, I do not believe, okay, that that means we should have a succession of popes indefinitely forever. I'm not hating on the Catholic church. It's just maybe a question because many of you maybe grew up Catholic or we all have Catholic neighbors and friends in Medford. And so this is where they come up with that doctrine, and this is why they believe that doctrine, this statement. And certainly Peter was key. We can't negate that. We celebrate Peter. We love Peter. We listen to Peter. He was an apostle, right? We, we follow what Peter said as he was writing inspired by God. And yet the, the dominant note on what's happening here is not Peter the man, but what Peter is saying about the God-man, Right? It's, it's that confession. Yes, Peter would be used as the key figure in those early years of the church as the message of the gospel is going forth. But what made Peter so pivotal is that he was the key proclaimer of that message and all of the disciples were proclaiming that message as well. I mean, it's just like today. I mean, what's more, I mean, hey, and you know, I'm just, I'm just a guy up here, just, you know, obviously called, hopefully, you know, gifted by God to communicate his word, but, but don't, don't look at me as the, the foundation of the church. Look at Jesus and who he is, the confession of who he is as the foundation of the church. Jesus calls the church into a new community, a new people of God. That's why he says, the church is my church. So the church is my, the church is Jesus' idea, right? He is the one who leads his church. 
And you'll, you'll hear people say, right, perhaps you've even thought it, if not said it yourself. And, and again, I'm not hating on anybody, right? I, I, I can get the, the sentiment here. Like, man, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. You ever heard anyone say that? People might even say, like, I love Jesus, but man, the church, uh-uh. And probably there's a misunderstanding there, like the church is an organization, the church is an institution, the church is a jacked up group of people who blow it often, right, and need correction, Um, but it's actually problematic to say that. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like or love the church. And why is that? Because the church is his church. The church is his bride, The church is the church that he died for. Ephesians 5, 25 says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So as this this theologian Russ Moore says, I love this. He says, saying I love Jesus but not the church is as irrational as saying to your best friend, I like you, I just can't stand being around you. So, so as we work through what the church is, I want to present five reasons why I would ask you to consider to go all in with this local church because of what membership is all about, okay? So number one, go all in with Redemption Hill, RHC, okay, because membership displays your commitment to Jesus to the world, okay? Membership displays your commitment to Jesus, first and foremost, right, to the world. And and you say, how do you get there, okay? This is how. Um, When Jesus speaks of the church here, he is not talking about Redemption Hill Church, right? Jesus is talking about what, again, scholars would say is the universal church, right? All believers everywhere at all times, right? This is why we love to travel and we meet Christians all over the world who are a part of the same church, the same group of people who follow Jesus in a universal sense, right? But at the same time, there has always been a movement of these believers, wherever they are, wherever they live, wherever God places them, to come together and to assemble as local churches, okay? So you have the universal church, and you have local churches that make up the universal church. Everybody clear? Everyone got that? And so there is consistently in the New Testament an an implicit and underlying reality that the church is made up of local churches that you can recognize and you can identify who is a part of this group of people with each local church. So let me just give you a few thoughts. And before I give you a few thoughts, I want to say, like, one of the objections to becoming a church member is like, well, I've been reading the Bible, and nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, join the local church where you live. And what I'm saying today is that it is implicitly understood throughout the New Testament. And if you buy that argument, then you have a problem when someone asks you, do you believe in the Trinity? Well, there's, there's never the word Trinity in the Bible. Or when Muslims would say, well, Jesus didn't say he was God. There was never a, a verse in the Bible where Jesus says, I am God. And yet, Jesus is forgiving sin. He is receiving worship 
Thomas is calling him my Lord and my God, right? So that argument doesn't stick, and I think it's worthy of your consideration. I'm not saying that church membership is on par with the Trinity or Jesus being God. I'm just explaining how that argument doesn't work. So let me give you some examples of how we can see a distinct group of people known as local churches, okay? Number one, here's just some evidence to consider. The church kept up with who was in and who was out. We can see this in Acts chapter 2. John explained it a few weeks ago. Number two, the Bible speaks of people joining and not joining the community of disciples. Acts chapter 5, 12 and 13, Acts 9, verses 26 through 28. And by the way, if you're very new to Christianity, um, you have uh, chapters, which are the first numbers I'm referring to, and then verses beyond that, the smaller numbers. So that's just a little tip if you're brand new to Christianity of the Bible. Number three, the vast majority of the letters that were written in the last part of the New Testament are all written to local churches, right? The church at Corinth, the churches in Galatia, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica. Revelation is is, is, is a, 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 the, the last book in the Bible, and Jesus is speaking to seven different churches there. Romans 15, listen to this. Paul is writing at the end, and he's giving these personal remarks, and he says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centre. Okay, so that's, like, that's a local church. This is a church that is in a community known as and then it says, Greek Prisca and Aquila, to whom I not only give thanks, but all the, check this out, church is of the Gentiles as well. Greet also the church in their house. Okay, so there was a, a group of believers who were assembled together who met in these people's home. All of the metaphors of the universal church, talking about the body of Christ, the family of God, a flock of sheep, a temple being built together, the bride of Christ. All of these universal metaphors only make sense when they are lived out in community of people in relation to one another, which is what the local church is all about. And so let me just say this before we move on. Nothing is more important than your commitment to Jesus. Nothing is more important than your commitment, like understanding who Jesus is, coming to understand what he did in his life, death, resurrection. So, so in light of that commitment, a commitment to the local church, right, and some pastors and, you know, wouldn't like me maybe saying this, but, but that commitment is so great that a commitment to a local church is almost inconsequential, Right? But it's not, right? Because we talked about how Jesus loved the church and how he died for the church. And so the natural consequence of committing to Jesus is committing to a local family of people who follow him. Does that make sense? Got it? So secondly, the church is not only the church of Jesus, but the church of Jesus Christ is a family. And we see this implied from verse 17. When Jesus answers back to Peter, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Okay, so Peter's name was Simon, and Jesus renames him. He gives him this, this nickname that becomes the name that he's known by, uh, Cephas or Rock, where it's translated Peter. All the same name there. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus says, God is our Father. I am the Son of God, 
and God the Father is my father and your father. I am your brother. If, if, you, if you follow me and you are brought into my family, John 1.12 says, yet to as many received him, to those who believed in his name, speaking of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So someone moves from not being a child of God, not being in God's family, to moving into being adopted into God's family. And that is why we have this metaphor of the church being a household or the family of God. And so we, when we belong to Christ, again, the natural consequence of that, all right, the secondary implication, which is huge, is that not only do we belong to him, we belong to one another. And so I want you to start thinking about this idea of the church as a family as being committed to one another in loving relationship. This is how we reflect God together. Just as God is the triune God and has always existed in eternally loving relationship, so now we enter into a loving relationship with one another that is based on a commitment to keep promises and to fulfill those promises. So every, every healthy relationship is built on, someone said this, I heard it last week, um, healthy relationships are built on promises, not demands. You got that? Promises, not demands. So, so I'm saying, hey, I will act in a certain way to you. It's the nature of a covenant. My man Jesse and Vanessa are getting married. Jesse's on the, on, on the, on the laptop today, all right? Jesse is getting married next Sunday afternoon, okay? And, and he and Vanessa are going to make promises to one another. They are going to enter into a covenant together. Jesse is not going to get to the altar and say, or maybe I should use Vanessa as the example. No, I use Jesse. This is a bad example, right? Sorry. Uh, he's not going to get to, the, to, to, the, to, the, to that moment of covenant and say, hey, you better live this way. You better, you, better, you know, X, Y, Z for me. That rhymed. That was good, huh? Man, Vanessa, Vanessa might walk out, right? It's like... Because a healthy, loving relationship is built on promises, not demands, which is so amazing and radical about Jesus, right? Like if anyone could have come in and made demands, it was him. I mean, he, he's God, right? Like, hey, worship me and, and do whatever I say. And not that Jesus doesn't make commands of us, right, and, and instruct us. Okay, he is God and he has that uh, position and disposition, but Jesus does more than that. He does them more than make demands. His relationship with us is built on a promise that I love you, and I love you so much that I would die for you, and I love you so much that even when you blow it, I will never leave you or forsake you. The best relationships are built on promises, and so the church is in this promise relationship with Jesus. The church is in this covenant relationship with Jesus. And so the universal church, that, 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 that same implication, I think, should be happening in local churches, right? Where we're saying, hey, because of our shared commitment to Jesus, I, I'm committed to you. I want to make some promises to you. I want to live in such a way that as we follow Jesus, we're following Jesus together, and we're living in this kind of way that honors him, and we're not doing it in isolation, but we're doing it together. That's what a church is. So not to be too dramatic, all right? I actually tone this example down. If you want the full effect, ask me some other time, all right? Um, but, but, but what engaged couple 
would just want to be engaged forever. Twelve months, twenty-four months, thirty-six months. Hey, let's get married. Forty-eight. Uh, we, maybe we should get married soon. Uh, Sixty months. What is that? Like, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life. I want to be one with you in every way that that oneness is, as we see in the scriptures. And it's like, but let's not get married. Let's not say I do. Let's not covenant. Let's not promise. So how about this? Number two, go all in with Redemption Hill. Because membership creates a family where leaders and members care for one another. All right, check this out. There are 59 different instructions in the New Testament where we see that there are, are, are instructions on how we relate to one another. So love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive, pray for, teach, be kind, be patient, outdo one another and showing honor, one of my favorites, and many, many more. So yes, Christians should care for all Christians, Right? Man, I have friends, I have Christian friends all over Boston, all over the America, some scattered around the world. I love them, I care for them, I want to serve them, but God has placed me in Medford, and God has placed me around people that are saying, hey, we believe the same things about Jesus, and we want to live the same way for Jesus, and so I'm more committed to these people because where God has placed me. We're a family, we care for one another. And I love seeing how this works out in in the life of our church. I can tell you about members going deeper with one another spiritually and growing in Christ. I can tell you about members sacrificing for one another, whether it's gathering resources for an adoption fund or when they know a member is going through it and doesn't have enough money for Christmas, they, they drop presents off on their doorstep. We care for one another. We're a family. And we have leaders, pastors, or even Hebrews 13, it says, obey your leaders, follow your leaders, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Check this out. You're like, that sounds strong, Peter. Like, we live in an anti-authoritarian culture. Like, don't say I should, you know, do whatever you say, okay? And that's not, like, that's not the, 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 how it works out, right, in just everyday practice, but we are leading, we are saying this is what God's word says, this is our, they're saying like this is how we can apply it together as a church. Doesn't mean we can't receive feedback and have conversations, right? But check this out. You have a responsibility, we have a big time responsibility, because you know what the rest of the verse says? For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account So, so, so I'm going to stand before God one day, and John and John are going to stand before God one day, and, and God's going to say, hey, how did you care for them? How did you love them? How did you serve them? How did you walk with them when they were really going through it? Did you give them good counsel? Did you really teach them my word, or were you just saying whatever you wanted to say? And so as leaders, how can we give an account if we don't know to hit, for whom to give that account, right? 
This is why one of the reasons why we have membership. People sometimes come. They come for a week or two. They come for a few months or, or, or even more. But, but to really join in, to really be committed, to really be locked into a covenant relationship with one another is, is how we know who to really give. So what does this look like in practice? Okay, like, listen, right? Like if I, and I think we're on good ground here. If you are a part of Redemption Hill but not part of the membership family, I hope no one would say, like, hey, Pastor Tanner, Pastor John, Pastor John, like, man, these guys, like, I don't, I don't think they love me. I don't think they care about me. No, we love every person. If it's your first time today, our goal is to know your name the next time you come. Like, we care about everyone. We love everyone. And at the same time, when we have... 200 people in our midst every week, and we have 100 members to care for, who do you think we're going to prioritize our time praying for on a weekly basis? Who do you think if, if, if there are 10 people that want to have a conversation with us and we can only have six, like, who, who do you think we're going to give that, that first time to? It only makes sense, right? So we love and care for one another. Uh, number three, listen to this. We go in with Redemption Hill because membership helps keep believers in the faith, all right? And so, so why is this important, okay? Because every family is imperfect, right? I mean, does anyone have a perfect family here? I know it's Mother's Day, and I know mothers, like, today you are perfect. Man, we love you. You are awesome. You've never done anything wrong, all right? We are going to serve you. We are going to do whatever it takes to honor you today. You know what we keep preaching here, moms, huh? You are amazing. All the sacrifices that you make, we can never say how amazing you are. We can never write you enough cards, give you enough roses, cook you enough meals, make our beds like you taught us to. Moms, we love. Mom, let's give it up for the moms, all right? Moms are awesome. I'm about to totally forget where I was going, all right? The, the point is that even though moms are perfect today on Mother's Day, families are not perfect, right? So what do you, what do, you do with that? I mean, we're going to blow it. We're going to blow it with one another. Even though we follow Jesus, like, there are going to be times where we blow it. And there are going to be times when we wrong God, and we don't see it, right? We're, we're, we have a blind spot. Like, I stare at this light. I can't see you guys because it's just a blind. So we, we have these blind spots in our lives, and, and there are going to be times. like So, so Jesus, it even shows up here in this passage where in verse 19, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loose. And then he explains that again. He uses the same language in Matthew 18 when he's talking about this reality known as church discipline. And church discipline is all about saying, hey, look, as you live your life for Jesus, you should live in a particular kind of way. And, and when you blow it, which we all blow it, then you say, God, forgive me. Help me to change. Help me to live more like Jesus. So church discipline starts with, starts with self-discipline, all right? Formative discipline, being in the Word, being here today. All of this is formative discipline. But then there are going to be some times where John has come to me or Carlos has come to me like, T, man, what are you thinking? Like, why did you do this? Why did you say that? And you know what? Hopefully I'm going to say, man, you're right. I blew it. Would you forgive me? Well, maybe I need to go to someone else that I've offended and say, forgive me for that. But Jesus says in Matthew 18, like, if, if you don't listen to, to Carlos or, or John on a one-on-one basis, then he says, then take another brother or sister with you and have that conversation again. 
Because the concern is, is that for someone who is unwilling to say, hey, I am wrong and I need to change, if that continues to happen, even at a third step of telling it to the larger church, which we would not bring that on a Sunday morning, okay, don't worry, don't get freaked out, all right, but we would talk to our church membership family about a family matter conversation, then the, the prayer would be, hey, church, let's pray for them, let's go to them together, and the goal of church discipline is always restoration. It's always to help people become mature and multiplying followers of Jesus. So this is why we have church discipline. This is why we see that membership helps keep believers in the faith. It's all about, in some sense, to put it colloquially, I almost made this my point, and I asked Marsha just this morning as I was finishing up kind of some tweaks, and um, she voted, as Mother's Day, she voted for uh, keeping members in the faith, all right? And, um, and I almost said, hey, we have one another's back. So I think that's a picture of what it's about. Spiritually speaking, we have one another's back. We're going to blow it. We need to help one another when we do. All right, so number three, and I better speed up. The church of Jesus Christ is a family, and the church of Jesus Christ is on a mission. And I love, man, I love Matthew 16, verse 18. Like, if you start a church, if you're a church planter, and you're going into a city that doesn't have as much gospel presence like Medford, um, then you better love this first. Because what is Jesus saying? He says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. That promise, I will build my church. So Jesus is the one who builds his church. That's a promise to the universal church, but it definitely has implications for each local church, right? Like, unless Jesus is blessing this, unless Jesus is empowering this, then this church isn't going anywhere. Um, But then he says what? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And and for the longest time, right, this this interpretation is is up for grabs, you know, in some respects. But but the question is, like, what, what are the gates of hell? Are the gates of hell on the offensive and the church is like taking her stand, like we are taking our stand as we are being attacked by the forces of darkness? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a gate that moves. So I'm just saying it seems to me that the church is not on the defense, but the church is on what? The offense. We are going somewhere. We are taking back the areas of darkness around us. God is shining his light into our hearts and people that did not belong to the family now belong to the family because we are going and sharing who Christ is, what he has done, and we are taking his mission forward as the church. So, if that's true, and by the way, if it's not true from this verse, it is true all over the Bible, all right? So, we are on the offense. We need to defend at times as well, but we are moving forward. So, if that is true, and it is, we should go all in with Redemption Hill because membership affords unique missional opportunities to serve the church and to serve the world. I don't have much time to to explain all all of what I would like to say, but... But let me just ask you a question, and then I'm going to give you a few points to consider, okay? Does the church exist to serve you, or do you exist to serve the church? That's a great question to ask in any relationship, right? Like husbands, children, today, you exist to serve mom, and that's the case every day. Moms, I'm on a roll up here. Somebody give me a hug after the service. All right. So, that being said... uh, you don't exist to serve me. 
what do you think I'm doing up here, by the way? Man, I'm seeking to serve you. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but like, that's my view of preaching. There's a, there's a book on preaching, many books on preaching, but one is called A Servant of the Word. We're just serving you, just trying to help you understand who God is, what his plans are for our lives. So, how does this relate to church membership? This is how it relates. Well, as we seek to make decisions as a church, our church members weigh in on those decisions. So some people would assume, like, hey, the leaders, the pastors make all the major decisions. Well, we are a church, as we see, we always just try to stick as close to the Bible as we can. And so we believe that a church should be ruled, governed, okay, major top decisions made not just by three people, but at this point by more than 90 people. And why is that? Well, one practical reason, like, man, if, if John and I, like, kind of get loose theologically or would go into a, a really, what we think is a great opportunity and, and it's really a foolish opportunity, then we have 90 sets of eyes, 90 people filled with the Spirit of God to see that and talk about that and to help us through that. So you say, well, then practically, what does this look like? Um, our, our, our elders lead, right? Our pastors lead, but the congregation votes on things like our financial ministry plan for the year, our budget. It's a direction-setting plan for how we're going to spend the church's resources. Our, our members uh, vote on that to affirm that. Uh, our members vote on new leaders, pastors, deacons. Our members will, any major decision, if we were to ever buy, if God provides an opportunity to buy a property or something like that, that's major direction shifting in the life of our church. If we were ever to modify our statement of faith or ever modify our church covenant, all that comes before our membership, not just three people at this point. So I would just say, we need your perspective. If you belong to Jesus, we need your kingdom gifts and potential to make Redemption Hill, which I believe is a great church, a greater church. We need your wisdom when it comes to these decisions that we need to make moving forward. And then finally, one more reason. I also love this one. Go all in with Redemption Hill because membership provides a vehicle to display the glory of God. I mean, this is why we exist as a church. Redemption Hill exists to glorify God. This goes back to the first sermon in this series. Steps like, why worship? Because God is worthy, because he is amazing, because he is the one that we live for. And so as a church family, check this out. When we, this is another verse that I struggle to understand, but Ephesians 3.10 says that so that the manifold wisdom of God, God's varied wisdom, God's multidimensional wisdom, check this out, might now be made known in the church. So how does that happen? It happens when we're willing to sacrifice time for one another. It happens when we're willing to have hard conversations. It happens when we're just hanging out and celebrating what's happening in life. It's going to happen next weekend when, man, I'm at Jesse's uh, wedding, and, and then it's the reception, and he's going to be showing me those dance moves that I need to work on. Some of you guys don't think I can dance, so he's going to, I mean, that's like, but really, right? It's like, man, I love Jesse because, and I love Vanessa. Vanessa's been here longer than Jesse, by the way. But I love them because we're family. There's a lot of things that I could do next weekend, right? But man, I, I love them, and I'm going to be there. The glory of God is displayed in all of these moments. We honor one another. We serve one another. We pray for one another. 
we live as God's people. So let me ask you this as we, as we wrap up our time. What happens? What happens? When a group of 90 members who are part of the membership family of Redemption Hill, what happens when 90 goes from 120 to 150 to 200 and so forth? You know what happens? We get stronger. We get better. We shine brighter. We display the gospel, the glory of God in a more multifaceted way. We see our leadership picture grow, our leaders, our members. If you're a team, you're not going to be a team member, a group member, if you're not yet all in with Redemption Hill. And again, that's not to be restrictive, it's just to be wise. And so would you consider being one of 30 people? Like maybe, you're, maybe you've been around Redemption Hill for a while. Maybe you're even new, but you're like, man, I like this church, and I think this is my church. Would you consider being one of 30 people who would help us display the glory of God in an even brighter, more effective way. The church displays her commitment to Jesus, to the world. The church is a family where members and leaders care for one another. We help keep one another in the faith. We have unique missional opportunities to serve the world, and we have an opportunity to display the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have loved us and that you have called us to be a family who is on a mission. God, I'm thankful for each person that's here today. I'm thankful for what you're doing in their life, whether a member or not of Redemption Hill. But God, I pray that you would show us ways that we can take steps to be first and foremost more committed to you, but secondarily more committed to your people known as the church. And so God, maybe you would prick someone's heart today just to say, hey, um, I, I need it. I need to go all in, not just with Jesus, but with this Jesus people known as Redemption Hell. I need to use my gifts to serve. I, I, I have leadership abilities, and I love God's word, and I love to, to serve others in a variety of ways, but, but I haven't taken that step yet. So, God, would you, wherever we are as individuals, whether it's our first time or whether we've been here a hundred times, God, would you, would you lead us and move us? And as a membership family, would you really help us to love one another and serve one another and do all of this that you've called us to do? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, we provided a a covenant membership card today. And so as the band begins to play in just a minute, listen, maybe you could look at this and just say, hey, I'm ready to go all in. You could write your name up here and say, well, I'm going to come to the next covenant class, which is June 12th. Or you might say, hey, um, I can't make it June 12th, but I'll plan to be there on August 27th. So listen, if, if anyone doesn't have a, a card, maybe you could just raise your hand and, and the team can bring down uh, a card for you or you can at minimum get it on the way out. Maybe some of you say, I've, I've been in the class but I haven't finished up. I haven't become a, a member yet because there, there's a process there of, of having a conversation with a pastor and then being again affirmed by our members who uh, are, are part of that decision. Then you might just say, look Tanner, I have more like, you know, your sermon was all right but I have more questions. You know, I just want to talk to you about what all this means. Well, that's an option for you. And then maybe some would say, hey, Membership is my next step, but I'm going to learn more about Jesus or I'm going to connect with a group or serve with a team. 
And so that's an opportunity for you. And then finally, if you're a member, I would love for you. If you, if you haven't renewed your commitment lately to say, hey, I'm all in with this family. I'm going to live this way. Then that's your opportunity there. Um, so take a step as God leads as we sing together. Let's worship Jesus.